It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, welcome into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball as uh, we're nearly like in the holiday season. I should have had like some bells to jingle like, uh, like, well, it's probably too early. Would that have made you angry? Hey! Ben's got keys. My name is Tyler Wong. That's Benjamin Hill jingling the keys and uh, Sam Dykstra in New York City. Hey, guys, are you on the it's too early for a Christmas music bandwagon? What, what's the take? Um, I mean, yes, it is too early for Christmas music. I say that as <laughs> I mean, we are yes. currently staring at a Christmas tree. Um, mind you, it's, you know, it's Radio City Music Hall that we're staring at. Radio City Music Hall has to sell tickets to the Rockettes, which is a big Christmas. Christmas spectacular. I get right, it. There's a reason right. why they put the tree up. Um, even now on a podcast, we are now talking about the Rockettes because they put up a tree. True. That's why they do it. Uh, if you want to talk about Christmas getting too commercial, that is a <laughs> a big point in that favor. Um, but no, I think we're not even close to talking about Christmas music or any holiday music yet. There's not even Thanksgiving music. I would say, like, why are <laughs> yeah? Why don't we have like any Adam Thanksgiving Sandler? music? Yeah, like yeah, the turkey like, uh, song. I guess yeah. Uh, but otherwise, no, I don't, I don't, yeah, think even Halloween got the monster mash. Why is there no good Thanksgiving song? Is, is there, there is there a good, ben? I can't think of any Thanksgiving yeah. at all. I just feel grateful for the existence of music during Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? Music. I like that. Music in general. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, it's my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. Uh, a day where we all just get to gorge ourselves and watch sports. It's that is. I mean, it's pretty much the rest of my life, also. But um, you know, I love it on Thanksgiving when everybody else joins in it. Uh, as we welcome you into this week's episode of the show, before the show, uh, as noted, I'm Tyler, Sam, and Ben in New York City. Uh, we're diving into some off-season elements of the show as we get closer and closer to the. Uh, the holiday season, the shopping season, get the favorite minor league baseball fan in your life. Some sweet gear. You can go to the MILB shop. You can uh, also check out the team stores as well. We've got some upcoming logo changes, some new identities, all that type of stuff. Um, And we'll talk about those of course, as they come out here over the next uh, few weeks. But as we get uh, into this week's episode of the show, we've got more ballpark guide stuff to uh, to break down and digest. An off-season uh, project that we have been tackling now for several weeks, myself, Josh Jackson, Benjamin Hill, of course. Um, we've had some fun with these so far. And Ben, I know you've got a new one coming up next week. Uh, I had a story about Hartford come out this week. Josh had the Inland Empire 66ers ballpark guide come out this week. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about how much fun this project has been, uh, but it's uh, it's a very neat little opportunity for us to like 30,000 foot view, look at the world of minor league baseball. And uh, these have been really, these have been really cool to do. Yeah. The most recent Tyler is yours. Uh, as you mentioned on the Hartford yard goats, uh, I'm, Currently working on the Syracuse Mets uh, NBT Bank Ballpark that should be out next week, and uh, got Las Vegas 
the aviators uh, after that on the docket. But the uh, yeah, the two latest to come out are a good pal, Josh Jackson, wrote a great one on the uh, Inland Empire 66ers. And you've got one on the Dunkin' Donuts Park, home of the Hartford Yard Goats. Uh, I was able to visit there in their inaugural season of 2017, which is, if you remember, was a year after what the inaugural season was supposed to be. And it was we could talk, we could do a very special episode and talk for three hours about what a mess it was to get that ballpark built so much negative publicity, but then it opened. They had a great front office in place, great branding with the yard goats. And it really is one of the, one of the best ballparks you'll find in minor league baseball bar none. Yeah. People really forgot about all of the, uh, the negative publicity pretty quickly once the gates opened uh, to Dunkin' Donuts Park and huge thanks to Mike Abramson, who is one of our, of course, longtime friends uh, in the mill world uh, who had talked with me for that story and just kind of gave me the, the lowdown of how the ballpark has, it's one thing to open a ballpark and have it be gorgeous and beautiful and all of that. It's another thing to start developing the, the identity of a ballpark over the, the last several years. And that's what they've been able to do at Dunkin' Donuts Park. And so we talked about, you know, best uh, areas of the ballpark to sit. Mike's partial to the third base side because you get the Hartford uh, City skyline in the background. Um, there's an overhang in right field. They sort of wedge the ballpark into kind of a modified city block. So there's a short porch in right field and they've got seats on the lower level, but they also have an upper level, um, which kind of gives them more of a big league ballpark feel. Uh, they've got, you know, local food vendors. Um, Dame Drops, who was, is the uh, very famous YouTube food reviewer. I did not know this, but he is from the Hartford area uh, and collapsed collaborated with the yard goats on a concession stand this year. Um, so they've got some Dame Drops created and approved food items. Uh, it was a lot of fun uh, talking with Mike Abramson about Dunkin' Donuts Park. And if you ever find yourself in the Northeast, uh, make sure to swing through Hartford and, and make a stop uh, at Dunkin' Donuts Park and uh, taking a Yard Goats game. It is a gorgeous place to watch baseball. A lot of cool food and drink options. And there's also a lot of neat uh, historical options around the ballpark too. That's one of the things that we have been keen to dive into with the ballpark guides is, you know, you're going to be at a baseball game. Sure. But there's also a lot of stuff that you should explore outside of these ballpark uh, facilities themselves. And um, in Hartford, you've got the Mark Twain house, a uh, place where Mark Twain, uh, Samuel Longhorn Clemens, lived during his uh, writing, his early stages of his writing life. Um, and then also the Harriet Beecher Stowe house is in Hartford as well. There's the Connecticut Science Center. There's one of the oldest private art museums, uh, actually, I believe the oldest uh, art museum in the United States that's open to the public in the Wadsworth. So there's some cool stuff in Hartford um, that you can check out when you are not at a goats game. And uh, it, it was fun getting a chance to explore a little bit more beyond just the phenom that is the Hartford yard goats. Right. And from a food and beverage or uh, perspective outside the ballpark, you know, the yard goats have had this steamed cheeseburgers alternate identity. Right. And that speaks to, steamed hamburgers, steamed cheeseburgers, being a Hartford specialty and some of the oldest examples of the classic American cuisine that is the hamburger in all the United States. So you can uh, explore some old uh, classic restaurants serving hamburgers the way that they were served on, you know, when Wimpy on Popeye was craving them and would gladly pay you Tuesday. Not in Utica. No, that's an Albany expression. Um, but uh, it was a fun one uh, to write up about Hartford. I have Altoona coming up next, uh, which is uh, People's Natural Gas Field. That will be out next week. Ben currently working on Syracuse. You can also, if you are a West Coast baseball fan, you can check out Josh Jackson's look at uh, San Manuel Stadium in Inland Empire, uh, where the 66ers uh, have called home for, for quite some time and um, a team that has produced uh, so much talent. The, that was one of the teams that we kind of discussed. Like, how do you define 
the inception of this team because they were known they were the, the San Bernardino Storm for a while. The no, the Stampede for a while, uh, and then changed names and the the level has changed and all of that. But their roots go back into the 1980s. Uh, the ballpark opened in 1996, um, and that is a really cool place as well. They've got some great food options, uh, and it's one of the things that's interesting to me about uh, the California League is I don't think most people outside of the world of minor league baseball think about California as a minor league baseball hotbed. But there's a there was a whole league named after that state, uh, and now of course Low A West is uh, included uh, in the old footprint of the California League, uh, but. San Bernardino, uh, a cool stop for the Inland Empire 66ers. Ben, you've been to that one uh, relatively recently, correct? Yeah, I went there, I believe, in 2017, I want to say. It all blurs together a little bit. It was a weeknight, so not a not a huge crowd and you know not the best weather, but it was the second time I've been there. And, uh, yeah, interesting place to see a game. Um, I remember the first time I went there, they had a uh, tooth race, you know, uh, where racing teeth mascots uh, sponsored by a local dentist. And that was when I was in my young and rugged and uh, wild gorilla. G-U-E-R-R, whatever. I was a gorilla journalist. As a, I like to fashion myself in that way. So, yeah, I was a racing tooth in the, in the empire, which is definitely one of my enduring memories. And, uh, and and you guys know this and anyone who goes to minor league games knows this is like kids get obsessed with autographs. Yeah. And kids and some adults and some adults, right. Right. But especially kids. Like it's only any, cute when the kids do it. Anyone in a costume, you want autographs. So I'm waiting for the third out so I can, you know, be a molar in a tooth race. And these kids like one after the other kept coming up to me and asking for my autograph. Cause I was just dressed as a tooth. And I remember just like just one of those moments, and this was my first visit to Inland Empire when I was pretty new to traveling and still kind of making it up and still being like, I can't believe I'm doing this somehow as my job, just standing there, uh, dressed as a tooth and writing tooth on baseballs and caps that kids were given to me. I just wrote tooth. I was like, I don't know what my name is. So I just signed their stuff tooth. And uh, that's a great memory from Inland Empire. Uh, not so much about the ballpark itself, but um yeah, a lot of history in that franchise uh, going back through different identities and uh, kind of a, I don't know if you call it Spanish colonial, but a very West Coast uh, architectural feel to to the ballpark and some mountains in the background and a name that, you know, speaks to Route 66. And uh, that's quintessentially American. It is indeed. And uh, another state that Route 66 passes through and uh, another community that Route 66 touches. Uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico is where we are headed on this week's episode of the show before the show. John Traub is going to join us coming up here in a little bit uh, from Albuquerque, a, uh, a food network project found its way uh, to Isotopes Park this summer, which I was actually not even aware of until this week uh, when it aired and when you guys passed this along. But um, Ben, give us the overview of what exactly uh, the Topes got to take part in. And we also need to parse out where else in minor league baseball we feel like this could apply. Yeah, the uh, Isotopes, and we'll get you know deep into this in no time at all, but they were featured on an episode of Dinner Impossible on the Food Network where the host... Uh, Robert Irvine, I believe is his name, was um, tasked with creating an elevated dinner at the ballpark and all the challenges involved with that and uh, all sorts of uh, time limitations and ingredient limitations. So it was reality TV at the ballpark uh, with the isotopes. So always interesting to see uh, minor league baseball you know, get featured you know, just on TV uh, through the lens of other shows and other concepts. And uh, you know, something I think is always fun to cover because then 
you get to see by talking to the teams involved a little bit of, you know, how the sausage gets made, so to speak, um, what it's like, you know, to be on the inside of uh, being involved with these television productions and of course having your team featured and what that means to the team. I feel like if there were regions of the country um, where minor league baseball could most clearly put its stamp on a show um, in that vein because of its regional delicacies. I'm very partial to a place like Albuquerque because I want to just inhale all of the green chili on earth. Uh, but I feel like there would be a lot of places where this could also go down. Um, ben, if you had to pick like a short list of ballparks where you feel like this would be a, a well-situated proposition outside of Albuquerque, where else would be? Well, you could look at this two ways. If you're looking at a show like Dinner Impossible, which is based around you know, challenges and limitations in a way it would be fun to pick an older ballpark with not too many uh, with a small kitchen and not too many points of sale and having a really mm -hmm. limited uh, amount of things that you could make um, in, in there. I think even just from this year's travels, it's not that old of a ballpark, but Chattanooga AT&T stadium, um, you know, pretty cramped in terms of their kitchen availability. So in one way, it'd be kind of fun to say, okay, this isn't a newer ballpark. You have to make the best of somewhere with a limited menu. But if you're thinking, what are the best ways in a reality TV show context to really explore the cuisine? I mean, I think Albuquerque is a great one. I think Lehigh Valley would be great just with all the uh, creative concession items and the, the bacon-centric branding. I mean, along those lines, of course, we, we talked about Fresno tacos and all that a couple of weeks ago on the show. And I think doing something based around uh, Fresno and Mexican Mexican cuisine would be uh, another great one for sure, but you could really just zero in on anywhere in the country and then find a reason that, that it would work, which I think is one of the great things. So I, I would recommend it to television producers everywhere is to systematically um, feature every minor league ballpark on your show, no matter what your show is. And make us producers. Yeah. I'm into all these ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And that I will, it's just an aside, not related to the food, but talking about minor league teams or ballparks being uh, featured on television shows. If you have not seen this, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, the Savannah Sand Nats, you know, who are not a minor league team anymore, Grayson Stadium, uh, that is now the home of the uh, Savannah Bananas, a uh, you know summer collegiate type team. They're, right, they're summer collegiate. But anyway, in 2006, I believe it was, uh, an episode of the, the Ali G Show, a Borat segment of Ali G Show was filmed at a Sand Nats game in like 2006 which begins with um, Borat singing the Kazakhstan national anthem. And he just goes on and on and on. And every time you think it's over, he keeps going and the staff's trying to start the game and inching over to him and that sort of cringe comedy. And it gets more cringy from there. And uh, I haven't seen it for a while. Maybe I shouldn't even be recommending it on a family <laughs> podcast. I don't know, but it's kind of an interesting footnote in minor league baseball television history to think that a, a Borat, segment was filmed in a minor league baseball game. I have to go find this like now. That's going to be the first thing I do after this, uh, after this episode. I want you both to know. Thank you for letting us know. <laughs> John Trotter, the Albuquerque Isotopes coming up. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Albuquerque, New Mexico is the home of the Albuquerque Isotopes minor league team, and that name is in part a reference to the Simpsons. Uh, in recent years, Albuquerque has been on the, nap, on the map because of uh, shows being set there, such as Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Uh, a lot of movies and film are in Albuquerque. Uh, there's stuff shooting there all the time. And this season, the Albuquerque isotopes themselves got a turn in front of the camera. They have been featured in an episode of the Food Network TV show, Dinner Impossible. In season 10, episode six, which aired Tuesday, and which I'm sure you can find uh, via your local cable streaming providers, uh, host Robert Irvine is in Albuquerque for Healthcare Worker Appreciation Night, and he's tasked with serving an elevated dinner to 250 deserving guests. But it's not that simple. He only has access to ballpark ingredients, and he must also prepare a New Mexico-themed snack for the 400 employees who open up the stadium for the game. So that's a dinner impossible setup. And here to talk about it from the inside, how it all went down is Isotope's Vice President and General Manager, John Traub. Thanks for being with us, John. Guys, it's a pleasure. Um, thrilled that you watched the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to participate in, but hopefully you guys had fun watching it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this segment is because it's obviously minor league fans who listen to this podcast. And if you haven't seen this, you, you know, you don't get to see minor league baseball featured on uh, you know, cable pro- programming overall, and especially not the Food Network very often. Uh, so how did this uh, come about? How did Dinner Impossible end up shooting the episode Seventh Inning Stress at <laughs> your ballpark? So, Ben, they called us, um, gosh, probably mid-June of last year of this of 2021 and said that they wanted to uh, talk about filming an episode of Dinner Impossible uh, at the ballpark featuring the isotopes. And my first question is, why us? And what made you think of coming here? And they said that the producer was a big baseball fan. Really, they had a kind of a regional need to do something filmed in the Southwest. So it just kind of hit their radar. So in a very, very short amount of time, we dotted the I's, crossed the T's, worked with Major League Baseball to get the licensing approvals done, um, worked with the network, worked with the production company. It, it was very much fast and furious. And even uh, they came out to start filming. It was basically a two and a half day production. Um, All the filming took place on a Tuesday. Um, They did a lot of B-roll on Monday and they did a site survey on Sunday. Um, And I would tell you that even Wednesday and Thursday leading up to that Sunday, the week before, we weren't 100% sure that it was going to come to fruition because, man, there are a lot of hurdles that you have to go through and, and people have to you know sign off on. But we were able to get it done, and they came out, and they brought a, a really large crew with them and did it that site survey, as I mentioned, on Sunday, and uh, everything went, went from there. And you've been with the team for quite a long time. Uh, was it better part of two decades now? Well, I just finished my 34th year in the game and uh, with the isotopes since 2002. Yeah. Uh, um, our first season here was 03, but I was the general manager in Calgary uh, f- before that. And we ran that into the ground and relocated that franchise to Albuquerque. <laughs> so I did move with the team. But yeah, so so been with the organization for a long time. Yeah, and in that time, have you ever been involved 
in something like this? I know you've partnered with, you know, local television productions, you know, and promotions, you know, around uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. But have you ever had your team featured in such a way or was this a new experience? It, it was a brand new experience at this level. A couple of years ago, there was a British TV show, a cooking show. Um, it was called like Two Hairy Guys on a Bike or something. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it aired on the BBC in England. And uh, they came out and spent part of a day with us. Um, I personally was not as involved in that one as, as I was in this one, but you know, there's still big productions and big, you know, the big crews and, and things like that. So it was neat to see how this type of production gets put together for sure. Yeah. And, and as Ben was laying out there earlier, part of this show is, is creating a challenge for, for Robert Irvine and his team. So right. when you guys found out this was going to be something that was happening beyond just lo- the logistical hurdles, at what point mm-hmm. were you planning out? What can we throw his way? Like, because what was involved in that was like the kitchen was in right field, but the pavilion where people were going to be serving was in left field. Like how much did you guys think about how can we make this as entertaining a show as possible from our end? From the very beginning, Sam, uh, uh, the, even the very first phone call that we got from them, we started talking about concepts. And one thing that I really wanted to do, and I thought it was going to be kind of cool, would be a behind the scenes on what it takes to uh, present a challenge in real life to feed uh, two professional baseball teams um, on a, you know, before the game, after the game, everything that's involved in that, you know, as we all know, in this industry, you don't know what time games are going to end. You don't know what time the food needs to be ready, et cetera. So I thought that that was going to provide some really interesting content. And I think they really like that concept, but Unfortunately, due to COVID restrictions, we wouldn't be able to have the camera crews in the clubhouses or in the tents that were provided for for the teams to eat. We wouldn't be able to get the camera crews very close to the players. Um, So uh, we spoke very briefly with our major league affiliate, the Colorado Rockies, about it. They were interested in the concept, but once we started talking to the production crew and realized how close the cameras were going to have to be, um, it, it, it came pretty clear pretty quickly that it really wouldn't be, um, a, we wouldn't be able to proceed with that concept. So we pivoted and, you know, we really did uh, dedicate the entire 2021 season to all the healthcare workers in our community to thank them for all the challenges and everything that they continue to go through to this day, in fact. And um, so we thought, well, what if we brought in a bunch of healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, whomever, and really have that be the elevated meal that Robert would provide? Um, we talked about that. We talked about doing some things with, with other types of groups. And we filmed this on a Tuesday and it was in June, the end of June. So we, we and we only had a very short window, like I said, to turn this around. So the because of a healthcare partner, Loveless Health Systems that we have here in Albuquerque, who's been a partner of ours since 2003, we reached out to them, gave them a heads up that this would be a possibility. And they started uh, promoting it from within to get as many people, uh, many, as many health workers involved as, as possible to be our special guest for that night. So long answer to your question, we did kick the tires on a few things, but um, I, I'm thrilled that 
that they liked the idea of going with the healthcare workers because it was not only timely, but impactful and important that we uh, continue not just to provide lip service about providing thanks and honoring the healthcare workers, but actually delivering on that. And the healthcare workers, as you could see from the show, uh, they were very appreciative. Yeah. And one of the great things about this show too, is, is just showing off what uh, you know, Southwest cuisine can be. And it's, it's as much a showcase of Albuquerque food as it is the ballpark and the isotopes in general. Um, I know you guys didn't want to have your fingers on the scale, but your chef was involved in helping craft all this kind of stuff. How much were you guys either telling them about Food Network, like, A, there needs to be green chiles in there, uh, <laughs> which there certainly were, but B, like, this is some of the stuff you might want to consider throwing in there as part of the meal. I will be honest with you. I don't think it came up at all. It came up that as part of the challenge, they would have full access to any ingredient inside the ballpark that they could have. Certainly our chef was involved during the production to say, Hey, you know, chilies and certain spices and things of this nature would be at as at his disposal, but there was no advanced grocery shopping. There was no advanced, um, you know, preparation of a menu. They showed up. That was very, very real. They showed up. They didn't know what their challenge was going to be. And when he asked me the question or he asked our chef Thomas the question, um, you know, what, what's at our disposal? Well, you got everything from hot dogs and hamburgers to, to uh, all the sweet food, you know, the food that we prepare for our hospitality and our, and our special, uh, our special culinary team could put together whatever. Uh, it just, it was a matter of what, what was available on hand that day. So that did provide quite a bit of a challenge for them. John, from the standpoint of shooting a, a live television program, you can do all the advanced planning and the advanced uh, concepts that you want. But once the cameras go on and the gates go open and all of that, uh, things are going to change. And there's not really a, a cut and let's reset and start this thing over element to doing it during a minor league baseball game. So tell us about, feel free to go into as much or as little detail as you would like, but we know that there are some other unexpected challenges. Uh, give us yeah. the, give us a little bit of the lowdown. So like I said, we filmed on Tuesday and on Monday, there was a little bit of a, uh, a walkthrough, if you will, a little bit of a rehearsal, I guess, with myself and, and the chef um, and our mascot. And uh, Robert and his team did not show up. So when you saw them walk into the stadium during the show, that was Tuesday morning and it was it's go time. They had no a preliminary idea of what was going to happen. Now they've filmed these shows now for 10 seasons. So they kind of have their formula. And as part of the production, they like the host, which was, I guess, in this case was me. They, they said, okay, this is kind of what we want you to do. We want you to welcome them. We want you to present the challenge. We want you to hit on a few key words, which are not a typical part of my vernacular. So when we're talking about providing an elevated meal in the stadium, that, that was a little bit of a challenge for me to get out because um, it's just not something that I would ordinarily say. So uh, we rehearsed it on Monday. We walked through some things. They had cameras in certain positions. I think just to get us comfortable with kind of how the setup was going to be, we were set up at shortstop. It was a pretty decent day. Um, and we felt pretty good about things. And, and they were hoping that, okay, we can get some B-roll and, and kind of use some of this as part of the production. Well, that's fine. That was Monday. Tuesday morning, we wake up 
and it's pouring rain, which it never does here, especially during monsoon season, which starts right around that time. You know, it's a beautiful morning until about two, three o'clock when the clouds rolled in, rolls in normally. And then the thunderstorms hit, the monsoons hit, and, and then it sends us into a little bit of a panic mode for games during the month of July, usually. But anyhow, on this particular Tuesday, it rained all day. And the tarp was on the field overnight, Monday night. So all that rehearsal, all that B-roll, all that stuff that we prepared on Monday, um, we had to scrap it. And in fact, um, the producer called me really early in the morning and he's like, yeah, we're going to have to, we're going to have to pivot. We're going to have to figure something else out. So no problem. We, we figured out where we could be under the, under the protection of the concourse. It's not necessarily the look that I think we wanted or anybody wanted. Of course you want blue skies and green grass and, you know, have that kind of thing, but it wasn't meant to be because, you know, the weather didn't cooperate. So we had to, we had to improvise, but they did give me that kind of, okay, this is, these are the types of things we want to hit. And this is his, what he's going to ask you basically, but nobody had a script and from the get-go, when we walked up and said hello to him, and it was on camera, and we knew they were rolling, they had four or five different cameras rolling, you know, I just had to react to what Robert was saying, and then it was go time. It was it was in real time. There was no cut, let's say this again. It was, let's go, and, and they were going to have to produce the show based on whatever garbage came out of my mouth. So uh, I, was, I was nervous about that because, like I said, there were some things that – they, you know, the types of things that they wanted us to hit on. And it, it took, it took, I didn't want to think about it too much. I didn't want to overthink it because then I would really stumble over my words. I just like to speak freely and, and it, it, I think it came out. Okay. Um, even though sometimes you, if you watch the show closely, you could tell that, man, I am, I've got marbles in my mouth, <laughs> but it worked out. Okay. I think. No, I think you did great, John, at, at being a host for, you know, Isotopes Ballpark and, and Albuquerque at large. But speaking of it raining, one thing that stood out to me in that show is probably wouldn't have happened if it was a blue sky, green grass day that you're talking about. You made Robert Irvine tarp pull. So at, w- at what point were you guys just like, hey, we're going to make him do this thing that everybody in a minor league front office has to do? <laughs> well, um, gosh, uh, throughout the day, you know, they, they really wanted to present challenges to Robert as part of making this thing happen. So they were already on a tight time crunch. And the producer said, what can we do? You know, what types of things happen during the day around a minor league ballpark that basically require a, a lot of people to be involved? And it was perfect because the tarp was already down. The tarp was down from the night before, like I said. But it was like, well, we could use his help pulling the tarp. So they said, okay, let's have him do that. Great. So at a certain time, uh, you know, they had actually asked us to delay the tarp pull so that they could get their cameras in place. And we're like, and my groundskeeper is like, there's no way that that is happening. That tarp's coming off right now. I don't care if the crew is here or not. We got to get rolling because we got to start this game on time. So, I mean, what you saw was legit. It was me going into the kitchen. Robert, <laughs> we want to get this game started on time. And in order to do that, this tarp has to get off now and we need your help. Now, um, Ordinarily, I probably wouldn't go into the kitchen to ask our chef for help, but that so that was a little bit of a, a thing for TV. But it worked out well, I think. I think he had a he had a good time doing roll rolling up the tarp. We didn't get down there in time to to dump it, but we did get down there in time to roll it up. Hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, one other aspect of it that I enjoyed uh, because all of this stuff, reality TV, there needs to be some ticking clock somewhere. 
but there is no ticking clock in baseball outside of a pitch clock, if that's instituted. (laughs) Um, But you guys kind of set up the deadline as the end of the third inning, which all of a sudden now you're following what he's doing with how many outs are there in the second, how many outs are there in the third, and there's somebody updating him. So how, how did you guys like work with the team to decide this is when we're going to do this and this is going to make, you know, a timeless game into a, a time atmosphere? Well, if you think about it, right, most times when people are eating dinner at a game, they're doing it relatively early in the game. Uh, initially, there were, they had conversations with us. They wanted to, to feed everybody in the seventh inning. It's like, well, geez, that could be three hours you know, they've already been here for an hour before the game. And then it's three hours into the, so it's like, no, this has to be done earlier. So we, we, we told them, yeah, this is going to be after the third inning. Um, And then we added the additional challenge of adding a snack for our event staff who showed up. So that kind of just threw another wrinkle into it, but it was really firm. It was like, Hey, this has to be done by the end of the third inning, which should be around seven 30. The game started at six 35 that night. And, uh, and so that was their, that was their, that was their clock. And uh, I do have to give uh, now our former uh, PR director, Kevin Collins, a shout out because I really think that he was one of the stars of the show because having him run in to say, okay, we're in the first inning. Okay. Now we're in the second inning. We got through two outs to go. I thought that was a really cool piece of the thing because it, it added that urgency and the time clock that you saw when you're watching the show, you know, the countdown, three and a half hours to service time or 42 minutes to first pit, whatever. All that was real time. All that was legit. They, there, there was no, uh, there was no sugarcoating that that was real from the time they showed up. They, that clock was ticking for sure. John, let me just ask you about uh, the, you know, you said you've been with the Topes now since 2002. Um, and it was perfect that Ben noted that, you know, you've got a team name that's based in part on a, a television show episode. Um, since then, I would, I would say that the, the isotopes have probably been the most TV friendly franchise uh, in minor league baseball over the last several years. And it's due in part to the explosion of the, the television and film industry uh, in New Mexico, but from being, you know, in breaking bad and in better call Saul um, and now, you know, having a, a food network piece um, that comes out of the ballpark. If you would have gone back, to 2002 and talk to the version of yourself that started with the isotopes. How would you explain what this additional element of the topes has become for you guys as a franchise over the last decade plus now? Um, Tyler, that's a great question. Uh, Obviously when we did the name, the team contest way back when um, the Simpsons uh, episode was airing that had the, the Springfield isotopes potentially moving to Albuquerque to become the Albuquerque isotopes. So pop culture has certainly been part of our fabric since we started. And we didn't know that a show called Breaking Bad was going to happen or, or Better Call Saul was going to happen or any of these other things. But, you know, you look at Bull Durham, you look at MASH with the Toledo Mud Hens and several others, uh, minor league baseball is part of the fabric of this country. And, and you look at a variety of shows, geez, I mean, you name it. There's, there's um, gosh, even in the movie love, actually, there's a minor league baseball pennant in the, in the background of a scene in a bar in Milwaukee. Um, So there's, there's just all kinds of different um, uh, examples of how minor league baseball crosses over to 
TV and and movies and whatnot. So I don't want to sit here and say, yeah, we were planning this or we were hoping for it. But some of the stuff just comes along. I mean, we are talking to a, a TV crew right or a, a filmmaking crew right now about renting out the facility later this month to to shoot a movie. Um, there was a there was a TV show in the around 2007 2008 called In Plain Sight. And to be honest with you, that was probably the first. Uh, the first show that actually used the ballpark for, for filming and, and called themselves the isotopes. There've been other movie specs that have been written uh, around our existence and things like that. Uh, we have, you know, we market ourselves as being a community venue. We try to be a good community partner and it's a, it's a great venue. It doesn't always correlate to what TV and film production want, right? There was a movie that they were kicking the tires many, many years ago. I can't tell you how many site uh, location tours I've given over the years. Um, a huge number of them and a very, very small percentage actually come to fruition, but they wanted our ballpark to, to you know, both either in production or post-production, they were gonna try to make it look like Wrigley Field. And it's like, no, that, good luck. I'm not sure that that's <laughs> gonna happen, right? So. I, we love being part of the pop culture. Uh, we we see questions every so often on Jeopardy that come up and and things like that. And um, I, I just think it's cool. You know, it's it's kind of fun. It's just one of those added benefits of of having a team that was on the front end of being kind of one of the untraditional names. You know, you have a team called the Isotopes, um, and in a and in a different type of community and a awesome but different type of stadium. It's going to create that interest and and. Uh, we're glad that the things that have happened have been able to work out the way they have. Now, John, to close things out, uh, Sam and I were talking prior to this interview, you know, trying to get a little more background information. And we were looking into how often Albuquerque is used as a location uh, for TV and film. And uh, we found one article that called it Tamalywood. And we just like a local perspective. Does anyone call it Tamalywood? It's the first time I've ever heard that. But I, love <laughs> I, I think that's a great name. Um, there's stuff that happens here all the time. Netflix just bought the uh, huge movie production or, or film production uh, location um, called Albuquerque Studios. Um, and that's where they that's where Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad and gosh, so many other productions have taken place there. Uh, so they, they there are some huge productions that have happened in our community um, and, and they get a lot of publicity. And uh, so that's kind of cool. And everybody knows that now the filmmaking industry has really become part of the economy in this state. And in fact, um, before the tax incentives that the state of New Mexico introduced, Breaking Bad was originally scheduled to take place in Riverside, California. Um, and right around that time, uh, the state of New Mexico stepped up with some incentives and they pivoted and Albuquerque became the home for Breaking Bad and the city of Albuquerque itself really became a character in that show, if you will, and um, an important part of the character of that show. And it's just it's just rolled on from there. I mean, it's it's a really cool thing that's happening in our community. Well, hopefully this conversation has whetted your appetite, so to speak, uh, to watch the episode of Dinner Impossible featuring the Albuquerque Isotopes uh, airing on the Food Network. It debuted on Tuesday and uh, 
I'm pretty sure it'll air quite a few more times uh, going forward now. So check your local listings and uh, see if they were successful in creating elevated cuisine at the ballpark. And to steal my own joke from Twitter, you'd think it'd be pretty easy to create elevated cuisine because the ballpark is 5,100 feet above sea level. Where's my rim pausing, shot? Pausing for <laughs> I, 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 was, I was quiet there. Ben, I was quiet on purpose because I was figuring that's the kind of reaction you got on Twitter as well. But it, it I, was. Just, I gotta tell you, I did read that and I thought that's pretty clever. How come I didn't think of that? So yeah, that's what I'm here to be. Clever and unfunny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you also, I, I, you have to start using all of these awkward terms now, John, in your everyday life. Like I want you from now okay. on, like, you know, it's five 30, you're getting set for first pitch for a game. And I want you to be like, what sort of elevated hey. dinners do we have around here tonight? Can I give you a personal story? This Please. is a true thing. So my wife is an unbelievable cook and is very creative about looking in the pantry, looking in the freezer, looking whatever. Okay, what do we have? And what are we going to put together? So I really think that my wife started the dinner impossible scenario uh, before it became a TV show. And um, so I got to give her a lot of, so it was just funny just watching them put the show together and watching the show with her because I had not told her a lot about it. She goes, I do that. <laughs> I said, yeah, you do. I said, you could become a, a creative consultant. You're like, I've been watching this for years at home. I've been, I've been living this. Come on. So anyway, I hope she makes the chicken wing nachos. That's the thing I want to try most. I think those were good. Nachos. Those were, those were very, that good. was such a great idea. For sure. Thank you guys so much for your interest in this. And, and uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for letting me share some stories. Yeah. Great speaking with you, John. And thanks for being a guest on the show before the show podcast. You got it. Thanks guys. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Huge thanks to John Traub of the Albuquerque Isotopes for joining the show. Now I very much want... uh, breakfast laden with green chili it's noon here but i haven't really had like a full breakfast yet so i might just go uh, i might just go whip something up i got some green chili from new mexico in the fridge uh it sounds fantastic to me we are moving along to talk about all things uh fall stars as the 2021 edition of the arizona fall league showcase game is coming up on Saturday. It will be on MLB Network. It'll be simulcast on MIL, on MLB.com and on the uh, MLB app as well. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, already Fall Stars time of the year, which means we're just over a week away from the close of the Arizona Fall League season. But uh, the East and West rosters announced for the Arizona Fall League's Fall Stars game and some really exciting talent, as you would imagine, of course, on uh, on these rosters. There are seven combined top 100 prospects, four on the East roster, three on the West roster. Um, two more prospects will be added via the Final Stars final two vote, the Fall Stars final two vote, that is. And... Um, 
Give us a, a rundown of your initial impressions of these rosters here for this 2021 edition of this game. Saying we, of course, did not have an AFL last year, didn't have a Fall Stars game last year, so we haven't seen one since 2019 uh, when the AFL East won that contest four to two. Uh, Royce Lewis of the Minnesota Twins was named the Fall Stars MVP. Uh, but give us the the initial impression you've got from this one. Yeah, I mean, th- this is exactly what the fall stars game should be uh, looking at these rosters right now. I, I, there was this, I don't want to say confusion, but I think a lot of people kind of jump out on Twitter when the rosters were announced this week uh, that it's an all-star game. It is that in some way, but it's not in the typical sense. You have to almost have to think about it kind of as like a futures game. Um, this isn't right. based solely on fall league performance. It would be a little cheap to do that given how short the fall league really is. Uh, but it's also not, wholly just based on like who the best prospects in the league are. Uh, If that was the case, then Marco Luciano wouldn't be in the final two voting. He would have been, you know, easily one of the uh, prospects to make the cut. So it's kind of a mix of both kind of treated as a futures game. This is just a showcase game for, Hey, these are a bunch of guys who have a, you know, we knew coming into the, the fall league and B have done pretty well. Um, so you mentioned seven top 100 prospects are on the roster. Let's go through those real, real quick. Uh, Tristan Cassis of the Boston Red Sox, first baseman representing the East. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, catcher of the Blue Jays. Brett Beatty, third baseman for the Mets. And J.J. Bladea, outfielder for the Marlins. That, those are the East representatives. Out West, we've got Nick Gonzalez, uh, middle infielder for the Pirates. Bobby Miller, right-handed pitcher for the Dodgers. And Bryson Stopp, shortstop for the Phillies. Um, so seven top 100 prospects all in one game. That's always going to make us pay attention. There are some other big names uh, participating this year for sure. Looking at guys like Patrick Bailey, catcher for the Giants, Curtis Mead uh, for the Rays, who anybody who listened to last week's episode, I really wanted on my uh, my fall league team. Tyler took him. Did you, did you get base. him? Did you get him? I did not get him. Oh, that's right. That's yes. right. He's on my thank, team. Thank you that's for reminding right. me of that. Although that was my own fault. <laughs> That's I will true. be honest. That is true. I was going to let you sail through on it, but yeah, you know. I took Brett Beatty at third base when I could have taken Curtis Mead. That's on me. I'm not going to be upset about that. Point, you could have just to, just to throw that out there. Um, Suli Matias, I think could be a, a standout because one of the great things about this game, which will be broadcast on MLB network. It's also available on MLB.com and the MLB app. I'll be airing at 7 PM Eastern this Saturday when you guys hear this. Uh, so November the 13th, but one great thing about it is because it's played at Salt River, we do get StatCast app for this game. Um, and you can pour over that on Baseball Savant page. I will tweet out the, the Baseball Savant page as well, so make sure to follow me on Twitter for that game. But it's just we get so much more data coming in on these guys. And Sully Matias is a boomer bust prospect for sure, but he has every capability of hitting multiple 450-foot home runs on Saturday with exit velocities of 110 miles an hour plus. He could also strike out four times in all of his plate appearances. Like, he's going to be boom or bust, but that just seeing some of these guys kind of stand out. Abner Uribe, who's a pitcher in the Brewer system, I think when I looked it up earlier today, he had 13 of the 14 fastest pitches thrown at Salt River this year. He can easily touch triple digits. He's involved in the game. Um, so if you want to look at a stack cast, darling, he is certainly one of those. Um, some other pitchers, Cole Henry has had a really strong uh, fall league. Owen White has had a strong fall league. Both of those guys are representing the West. Um, could they get in short spurts? I kind of hope we'd see it because, again, this is a showcase game. Um, but, yeah, those, those are just some of the names to follow 
in the Fall Stars game. And hey, there is some research out there. Uh, I think Fangraphs did it a few years ago. That being named to a Fall Stars roster is indicative of future success. Now, it's a chicken of the egg or the egg thing we've talked about. Typically, your top prospects are going to be in this game anyways. If they're top prospects, they're usually good, which means they're going to have major league success. But still, it is interesting to note that research, so, so do seek that out. Uh, I think it has a hit rate of about like one in three for young position players that guys eventually become solid major leaguers. So uh, a good portion of these guys that will be taking the field Saturday will be playing in the bigger stadiums and be playing productive roles. So we're not just saying that. There, there is research behind that. Um, but all that said – Tyler, out of the names I've said so far, maybe somebody else you have on your radar. Who would be your MVP prediction for Saturday? Um, I am going with a dude who has put together a very good campaign uh, so far in the AFL, and that's J.J. Bleday of the Miami Marlins organization. Uh, as of right now, he's got an OPS still over 1,000 um, in, the, in the AFL. And, you know, a guy who just, as we talked about, Last week, two weeks ago, I just feel like I'm not worried about JJ Bleday. I know the the 2021 season wasn't great uh, for him at Double A Pensacola. He's batting 329 with a 1050 OPS as of right now um, in the AFL, and uh, he seemingly has just kind of ironed out things. Uh, he started the month of November with a five hit day. Uh, in which he was a triple shy of the cycle, hashtag a triple shy. Um, he's got three homers this month through his first eight games, uh, played in November. He was fantastic in October as well. But I like I like what J.J. Bladé is doing lately, so I'm going with him. Yeah, my, pick is, gonna, my pick is going to be Juan Yepes. Okay, another good choice. Um, just a guy, we talked about him before. I think he was my DH pick last week. He just hit everywhere he played this year, double A, triple A, got added to the, the Cardinals wild card roster. That isn't. Uh, continued here in the fall league playing for Glendale. He's batting 319. He's got a 390 OBP, but being a, a corner outfield guy, but probably going to be a first baseman, which is a problem in St. Louis and Paul Goldschmidt, but that's neither here nor there right now. Uh, he is a slug first guy. He's slugging 710, got a 110 OPS uh, or an 1100 OPS, excuse me. He's got seven homers in 18 games. So he's hitting the ball hard. He's hit, doing it pretty consistently. When I was there the first two weeks, he was hitting. That's continued up until now. Uh, he just had a two-homer game recently. So he, he's shown no signs of slowing down. Uh, it's not like fall league pitchers are figuring him out. I think he's hitting his stride at the right time. I, I thought he could be somebody who maybe would have flamed out just because he played so many games uh, during the summer, then going to the wild card. Like, this could be a severe drop-off. But he seems to kind of thrive in these environments and being able to show that – Maybe he was overlooked earlier in his career and, and prospect rankings are starting to catch on to him now. They will especially do that uh, given the way he finished the year and given what he's doing in the fall league. And I think the showcase that is the fall stars game will be another big opportunity for him. So Juan Yepes, he might be my pick because he could have one homer, a double uh, in a three hit game and easily take that. Uh, but just to look back on some other fall stars, MVPs of recent vintage Royce Lewis, was that in 2019, Buddy Reed in 2018, Victor Robles in 2017, Willie Calhoun 2016, uh, and Gary Sanchez in 2015. So some varying degrees of success, but guys who have major, made the major leagues for the most part uh, and been, like we said, productive members in that, whether for the long-term or short-term or whatever. But if you win the MVP award, it's probably a good sign that you are going to make the majors pretty soon, if not almost immediately afterwards. 
So coming up on Saturday, seven o'clock Eastern time, five o'clock local time in uh, Scottsdale, Salt River Fields, Salt River Fields at Talking Stick for first pitch between the East and West in the 2021 edition of the Fall Stars game for the Arizona Fall League. You can follow that not only live broadcast on MLB Network, but also on MLB.com and the MLB app. And uh, we'll be back to wrap this thing up. Coming up next, Josh Jackson swings by with Ghost of the Miners, and we'll say goodbye on the other side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One played ball in 1935. The others were never even alive. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Sayersville Steeds. B, the Canyon Lake Jackrabbits. C, the Union City Greyhounds. If you blinked, you missed them. But in 35, the Union City Greyhounds, C, did indeed race onto the scene in the Kitty League. That's Kentucky, Illinois, Tennessee League. The inaugural team was piloted by Rip Fanning, who went on to win 338 games as manager in the Kitty League. Old Rip lived a long life as a sportsman, passing on in 1982 at the age of 83. R.I.P. Fanning. Based in the Tennessee town founded at the union of the Nashville Northwestern Railroad and the Mobile, Ohio Railroad, the Greyhounds ran circles around the competition to finish in the first two spots in the league for each of their first three seasons, with stars like Dutch Dumbler, Bill Shuey, and Elbert Hodge, it's no wonder those early Greyhounds were ahead of the pack. But in 38, they ran into a wall, going 45 and 85 to place 8th out of 8. A decade later, enjoying a post-war affiliation with Cleveland, Union City finished 2nd in the 48 regular season and claimed another title via the playoffs. The Greyhounds made another chase for a crown without a parent club in 52, but got in deep against the Madison Miners in the Kitty League Finals. The next year, the team agreed to an affiliation with the Brooklyn organization and changed its name to the Union City Dodgers. Coincidentally, the 1953 National League Dodgers featured 1952 Rookie of the Year Joe Black, the right-hander who, after baseball, went on to become an executive with Greyhound Bus Lines. But it was the partnership with the Dodgers that ran the Greyhounds out of the minors. And that's how those dogs of Union City had their day. 
Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these smarty pants clubs used their brains in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Bethlehem Bookworms. B. The Logan Collegians. C. The Williamsburg Philosophers. Want to know the answer? Get thinking. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is making a transatlantic journey, and I've got to warn the French. <laughs> for this week's episode of the show before the show keep your eyes peeled uh i never know what that phrase means just keep checking mylp.com and mlp.com slash pipeline uh for all of our stuff we've got some new uh logo stuff coming up soon i don't want to give you give too much away but i've got some stuff that i'm going to be working on ben's got some stuff that he's going to be working on some new identities some refreshed identities that stuff will be coming out uh next week and week after and uh those are some of my favorite things to get a chance to write about and also to plot how i'm going to waste money on so it's good <laughs> which of these hats will i be buying uh, i know yeah when we were talking to john off mic one of the, I mean, you do this perfectly because you have a backdrop of just hats on hats on hats on hats. Yeah, so it's kind of like a great way to open any discussion with any guests we have. It is. Uh, I feel like it is very disarming whenever people come on. They're not like intimidated by the podcast. They're like, look at this idiot and all of his hats. So well, good. especially when it's somebody from Albuquerque who knows you've been to the ballpark multiple yep. times. He's like, how many Topes hats do you yep. have? And I showed seven? him my, I showed him my column of, uh, of Topes hats. I've got four in one column. And then I've also got, uh, the mariachis, which is, of course, their Copa identity that they've won multiple uh, Copa de la Versión titles for, as well as the green chili cheeseburgers hat. Um, and, and John said, how many of those have you paid for? And I said, all of them, which is true. But then I wanted to say, well, are you saying that I could get free ones from you? Will you send me free ones, John? What is that all about? That's, that's one thing we have never really done on this show. And I say that sincerely like we've never ended an interview be like okay thanks so much for joining us by the way by the way can you send us some stuff yeah i mean uh, we wouldn't turn it down you know? we wouldn't but we are honest <laughs> folks who won't ask for it directly we'll just shyly you know throw it uh, passive aggressively at the end of the podcast exactly exactly um yeah no it's uh it's it, we do a good job i feel like of making people feel as though oh i can handle these dorks we'll be fine this conversation it'll be very easy for me yeah, it only takes two seconds of talking to us or five minutes of listening to the podcast. Right. <laughs> to realize that we are not impressed with ourselves. <laughs> well, that wraps up another fun and enlightening and entertaining edition of the show before the show podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. He is at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. Uh, and tune into the Fall Stars game coming up this weekend from Arizona. We'll be back to preview the final week of the AFL and uh, the AFL championship game coming up next weekend. As crazy as that is, I believe to send us really fully into the doldrums of the offseason. So for Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill, I'm Tyler Mott. We'll talk to you next week.